Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 22, and we're in an extremely popular and uh, famous section of Scripture, Peter walking on the water. Okay? So that's, I, I gave you a little hint of where we are. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. (laughs) That is just so awesome. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be, don't be afraid. The Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Oh, I'm sorry. Beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, if you read uh, some liberal things, they'll tell you all sorts of things of why Peter didn't walk on water. It was ice, you know, there was ice at that time and all this kind of stuff. But I actually have a picture of someone doing just this, uh, walking on the water. It's right there. Man walks on water. That's a bunch of bull. Okay. He's going to get jacked up right there. Okay. Look at that dude. That's not what Peter looked like, by the way. I just found that picture on the internet and thought, I got to share that with somebody. That is, uh, that is some good stuff there. It wasn't a trick. He actually did it. Okay. And this is at the height of popularity. If you saw a, a, a newspaper, it would say, polls show Jesus in commanding lead right now. He is on fire right now. Jesus is. Remember, this territory was controlled by the Romans. The Herodians had control over, uh, uh, over uh, this section. And the people were sick of it. They were sick of their government. And if you were to put out little... Um, Uh, newspaper clippings, it would say John the Baptist murdered by opposition party. 12,000 people fed, disciples hopeful. (laughs) Jesus plays down popularity. There's this this sense of, man, it's really heating up. I mean, can you imagine, we talked about this last week, about what it would be like to take the basket of bread and fish that that Jesus filled up, empty it, turn around and go back knowing he's going to fill it up again. And the people knowing, man, a miracle's happening. They had that in their past. They had manna come down from heaven. They understood it. They understood God providing for them. They understood that they were God's chosen people. This was, was, that's how it was going to go down. A Messiah was going to come and set up the kingdom and everything was working perfectly. And then Jesus sends them on their way and he puts the disciples in a boat. 
What I want to do this morning is talk about seven things that we learn from this section of Scripture. And uh, none of them rhyme and none of them uh, have anything fancy. It was just seven things that I really wanted us to get. And so uh, if you look on your outline there, the first one is the kingdom is rarely how you imagine it. Ministry, operating in your gifts, having the Holy Spirit flow through you rarely happens the way you imagine it when you're thinking about it. When, when I first came to Living Spring here three years ago, I had an idea of what was going to go down. <laughs> and it's been radically different. It's been awesome, but it's been radically different. Number one, I thought we could like, accomplish what we accomplished in three years in six months, right? And the Lord knew I wasn't ready for that either. So he was doing a work in me at the same time. But the kingdoms rarely think about these disciples. This is it. They they have free food. Jesus is healing every sickness and disease. I mean, this guy is all of a sudden now. The numbers are growing and growing and growing. 5,000 men fed. Now, I put 12,000 there, but let's just let's just take a conservative and say 7,000. Who who cares? I mean, there's more people being fed out of five loaves and two fish than you could possibly imagine. So the disciples are going, remember, they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Like, what, which territory am I going to? Am I going to take Herod Antipas's territory like we saw uh, two weeks ago? Like, what's going to happen? And Jesus in John chapter 18, verse 36 says this. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. I want you to think about what does the kingdom of God look like in your mind right now? If you are flowing through the spirit, if you're operating in your gifts, what does your life look like? Is it sin that you don't have, that you're not struggling with, that you used to struggle with? Is it service? What is it? I guarantee you when God moves, it's going to be something different. It's going to be better, but it's going to be something different. We're going to be talking this morning about something different we're going to be doing here at Living Spring that might uh, not look the way we want it to look at first. But I'll mention that in a little bit. (laughs) Okay. Luke 17, verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees, When the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, we've read this before, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. There's 5,000 men fed. We'll say 7,000 people there. I mean, what an opportunity for the kingdom. And Jesus sends them away. And all of a sudden we realize that the kingdom of God is with 12 guys on a boat in the middle of nowhere. That's how Jesus operates. The kingdom of God is not living spring, church. It's you. And it's me. We're it. Now, we represent ourselves as living spring, but that's fine. But... The success of living spring is irrelevant. The success of God being glorified in our lives is what it's all about. And so you say, man, I mean, could you imagine? This is like, if this happened in real life today, right? Well, it happened in real life, but it was the past. It happened, if this happened today, like here I am, Jesus gives me the ability to feed a bunch of people and living spring now has 7,000 people here. I'd have a DVD series out called, you know, 
the bread of life into your heart or something, you know. And there'd be, you could buy t-shirts and there'd be small group stuff and I'd be on television and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus is not concerned with that at all. You, know, you, you, can, you can see the difference between the way God thinks up here and the way we think down here. It's different. And if I think about it, man, all those people, and he's concerned about those 12 in the middle of a lake being buffeted by the waves. The kingdom is rarely how you imagine it. Secondly, Jesus knows what he's doing. These are very incredibly deep uh, points I'm bringing up right now. Uh, taking, uh, you have to be scholarly and have studied the scriptures to come up with this type of uh, outside-the-box thinking. But it's important for us to be reminded this. Jesus knows what he's doing. And so when we, when we see our lives and the kingdom isn't working out quite how we planned, when, when, when Ephesians says, husbands, lay down your life for your wife, and you do that, and it ain't turning out the way you'd imagined. Jesus knows what he's doing. The scripture's correct. It's important for us to know when we're operating in obedience, Jesus knows what he's doing. It's a good reminder. In Matthew 28, Jesus says this. He's, he's risen from the dead and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is it. He's the one in control. He's in total control. Remember when he, when, when he, um, uh, uh, when, when the uh, disciples were giving out the bread, Jesus already knew. Matter of fact, I'm going to go to it right here in John 6, 6. He says to Philip, where are we going to get all this bread? And in verse 6, one of the best scriptures in the Bible, he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. God already has in mind for your life what he's going to do. If we'd let him. And you say, man, I don't know. Cheryl was talking about kids. You know, if you don't like kids, then, you know, this probably isn't the ministry for you. If you don't like kids, you probably have a problem in your life. Okay. Because we're, we're called to love children. So it just, for me, I'm just impatient. That's the problem. Not the kids. It's me. I'm impatient. Something the Lord has to do. But God might have me in children's ministry someday. I don't know. I have no idea. He knows. He already knows. And so we have to trust that he knows what he's doing. Here he takes these disciples and he says, go to the other side of the lake. Head the boat towards Capernaum. Man, they leave all this great ministry. That was great ministry that was going on. All those people being fed, Jesus being glorified, and everyone's talking about Jesus. And he sends them off. Jesus knows what he's doing. Number three, Jesus wants you in a place of obedience. Jesus wants you in a place of obedience. Again, these are just amazing points that you'd probably never heard of before in your life, right? He puts him in a boat. He knows there's going to be a storm. They probably knew there was going to be a storm, but they'd already gone through a storm before, right? So they're probably like, hey, this is pretty cool. I, he, I know what he's going to do. He's going to get in the boat and then he's going to fall asleep. And this time we're not going to wake him up. Right? Remember that from a few months ago? So they get into this, uh, they get into this boat. And once you're in that boat, you got a choice to make. 
For four hours, they strained up the oars. How do we know that? Because we know when the feeding ended and when they picked everything up, which hour, which watch of the night that was. And they were rowing in the boat the fourth watch of the night, which is about uh, three to six in the morning. So at least four hours had gone by that they're straining at this. And I'll bet the temptation was to stop. He wants you in a place of obedience. This happened to uh, Saul. Saul was a king uh, back in 1 Samuel. And when he was chosen by God, he was extremely humble. He, he didn't think he could do it. As a matter of fact, when, they, when God chose Saul, uh, he was hiding behind some luggage. <laughs> the people of Israel were, were on the move and there was a bunch of luggage and they were drawing, casting lots and Samuel, the prophet, kept going, okay, it's from this tribe, it's from this family and here's everybody and they say, he's not here. And everyone's looking around going, well, what? And all of a sudden, out from behind the luggage, you know, Saul pops up and Saul became king and his heart began to change. And how he used to operate in obedience, he stopped operating in obedience. And so what happened was, uh, God told him to go and fight the uh, Amalekites. And to wipe them out completely. To utterly destroy them. Nobody was to survive. None of the animals. Nothing. Wipe them out. And so Saul goes in on the mission. Impartial obedience. Keeps doesn't kill the king, bring him, brings him back, because in those days, you'd parade the king, the, the conquered king, and you, where, where would the glory go? To you, right? So he kept Agag, the king, and he kept some of their sheep. And so Samuel comes up, and he, Samuel knows this, and he's tormented all night long. See, people of God, when we have disobedience, there should be something happening in our lives. There should be a sense of, man, we need to make this right. And this is what was happening to Samuel. And so he goes to Saul and he goes, dude, what are you doing? And Samuel, he's guilty. So he rushes in. He's like, hello, you know, great one of God. I did everything I was supposed to do. That's, you know, when you're guilty, you just come, blah, you just blurt it out. I did everything you asked. And Saul goes, Samuel goes, why do I hear sheep then? What's going on? And here's what, uh, here's what Samuel says. He says, but I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. (laughs) Right there, the two don't go together. You see that? You ever have your kid do that? I did all my homework except for math. It's like, what? (laughs) You did all your homework except for math. Then you didn't do all your homework. Well, I did. I just didn't do math. It's the same thing, only... This would be killing your math teacher or something. I don't know where that analogy went, but it brought back Agag here, King. Thanks for that. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder. See, he's, he's blaming the soldiers now for his disobedience. Who's in charge of the soldiers? He is, right? And the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgag, Gilgal. Lord, please give me that raise because as I gain in power, I will give glory to you. Uh, as I have more people under me at work, I can be more of a shining example. Uh, all right, here's what Samuel says. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. As we take this next step as a church, 
there's going to be a lot required. And the Lord is going to be speaking to all sorts of people in this congregation. The question is, are we going to obey the voice of the Lord fully? Is it going to be hard? Absolutely, it's going to be hard. But it's better to obey and to sacrifice in our obedience than to disobey and present some type of sacrifice to God. Jesus wants you in a place of obedience. He wants you on the boat. Number four, obedience often means utter dependence. Obedience is not comfort. Think of all the things in Scripture where we're to obey. A lot of them cause us discomfort. Do you think my wife wants to submit to me all the time? (laughs) No, okay? I'm an idiot, okay? I make stupid decisions. Do you think it's comfortable for her to go, oh gosh, yes, dear, you know, goes before the Lord, hit him, Lord, hit him, show him, get him. I can't do it, but if you could just, just a couple times, right? Husbands, is it always comfortable to lay down your life for your spouse after a long day? No. Is it comfortable not to, uh, to, you know, if, if you, want to talk about yourself and build yourself up. And it's like, oh, I, I want to say this because it makes me look good and to be quiet about it, to be humble. It's, it's uncomfortable. These disciples were utterly dependent on God. Jesus told them to get into an uncomfortable position, essentially. Jesus told them, essentially, go on out there to the point of death. Mark adds that they were distressed in their rowing. The word tossed or buffeted that we read in the NIV in verse 24 is translated as tormented. The boat was tormented. It means to uh, test by torture. Jesus called them into obedience, into a really, really difficult situation. I thought when I obeyed God, my life was going to get better. It does. But not like we think a lot of times. It's a different, it's a different thing. Now, what a marvelous picture. So here we have these these thousands of people. Jesus turns them away. Now, it says in John that they were going to try and take him by force to make him king. And he knew this, that they were going to take him by force and go, you're going to be our king. Jesus knows that. He sends them away. And what does he do? He goes up and he prays to his heavenly father. Why? This was one of the temptations that Satan brought to him too, right? If you bow down to me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. So Jesus goes up to pray. And he's praying for, I would imagine he's praying for two things. One for strength, Lord, can we you? not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. We know in scripture it says Jesus didn't do anything unless his fa- heavenly father told him to do that. So he puts those people in the boat, his disciples, and I'm sure he's on his knees interceding for him. How do I know that? Because he's our advocate now in heaven. He goes be on our behalf to the father. A wonderful picture of the Trinity. So you can imagine these guys straining in obedience, in utter dependence, going, he told us to head the bow towards Capernaum. That's all we know. And they're being tormented and the wind is contrary to them, it says in the scriptures. And they're just rowing. And some of us are in that situation right now. All you know is that you're doing your best to obey. All you know is that God told you, stay in that marriage. And you're just straining and struggling, and it's like, I just want to give up. Or that job, or that family member, or a ministry, or something else. It's, it's hard. 
And sometimes obedience means utter dependence on God. Because obeying is not easy. When we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's phenomenal what he does in our lives to break bondages and to, to break the chains in our lives and to, to anoint us with the oil of joy and all this kind of stuff. But that doesn't mean we are all driving a Lexus. It's hard sometimes. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. These are tools of correction to guide the sheep. As God guides and directs our lives with these tools of, of, of correction, with the rod and the staff, as he pulls us close to him, as he nudges us away, it gets difficult. But we know he's near. When we're in obedience, we're in the best place we could possibly be. Number five. Jesus is on his own schedule. Four hours they're at this obedience thing. You think, man, come on, Jesus. We're getting nowhere here. He's blowing it. He's wasting away the kingdom. He had this opportunity with these thousands of people. Jesus is on his own schedule. We, uh, we are going to go to four, uh, to, uh, four services. <laughs> It's awesome. Each one of you is going to have their own service. Okay? No. We are going to go to two services in four weeks on March 29th. Okay? It's fantastic. Okay? And so, like I mentioned before, imagine this half of the church spread out and this half of the church spread out, you know, so that it's, it's, there's more room now. And we think, oh, that's fantastic. Isn't that neat? That's great. I love being involved in the growing church and I, I support it. Way to go. Until I say, if you go to church here, I would really love for you to be here for both services. Working in one, serving in one, and going to the other. Well, now it's not that great. <laughs> now it's not... It's like, well, okay, you know, you... Yeah, I understand... I understand, but you don't know what my life is like. I have a pretty good idea (laughs) because it's a lot like mine. But here's the thing. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know why he has us pointing our bow towards Capernaum, going to two services. But I am absolutely confident without a shadow of a doubt that that's what we're supposed to do. My staff isn't so sure, but I am. Okay? No, they're on board. The board's going to be on. No, everybody's ready to go. Okay? It's going to be very, very difficult. We're going to need 44 people, by our estimation, to commit to coming to two services. We need children's workers. We need ushers. We need greeters. So... Why? I don't know. Is it going to work? I don't know. I'm just operating in obedience. This is what the Lord has put on my heart for over a year. And so as I've done research, and that some of you got my email about um, uh, the Nelson Searcy stuff, that wasn't, I didn't hear him and then decide to go to two services. I want, the Lord was pressing this on my heart, and then I heard him, and I said, man, he really articulates well kind of what's been on my heart. So it's going to mean work 
I'm going to ask for a six-month commitment for, for two services. It's like, oh, people will step up. Guys, we are the kingdom. Us. This is it. No one else is going to invite someone to church. We are. I am. No one else is going to step up in children's ministry. We have to. He said, well, you know, what's going to happen? I have no idea. It scares me to death. I like a full church like this. It makes me feel good. And when we sing, it sounds loud. I love it. But Jesus is on his own schedule. And it might be for six months. It looks anemic. And we go, what in the world? I don't know. But I promise you, I'm confident this is where the Lord is leading us. I can't help it. I could not, I couldn't not do it. It's like when, when I was interviewing here to come to church here and the, the board was saying, you know, we'd like someone with vision. I'm like, I don't have any vision. <laughs> I just knew God was calling me here. I didn't want to say that because that's like cheating, you know, I, you know, it's like, do you have any vision? No, but God wants me. Who's going to say, well, no, he doesn't, you know, right. Who's going to say that? Right. But I didn't have any vision. I didn't have anything. I, I had, I had, I was an import export. Wait, let's import some chairs in here. I could do that. And then God began to work and this is where we're going, but he's on his own schedule. Number six, obedience, dependence, and time build our faith. See, this is what it's all about. It's all about building our faith. Now, maybe we step out in this for six months and it doesn't work. And I go, man, I don't know what he was trying to do. And we're done. And we go back to where we are. I don't think that's going to happen, but maybe it does. I don't know. But see, as we step out in obedience and we're utterly dependent on him and we give it time, God begins to build our faith up. We see this with Peter. The first time he's in the storm, he's saying, Lord, wake up. We're going to die. What are you doing? Now he's ready to jump out of the boat. That's incredible to me. Why? Because he was obedient. And he'd gone through one of the storms already. See, God doesn't just want us to be safe. He can't teach us something we already know. You see that? Whatever you know right now, that's where you are. If you already know it, there's no reason God wants to keep you there. He wants to take you to the next level. Always and always and always. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy. (laughs) Unbelievable joy when your life is a wreck for Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, my brothers. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, and guys, we know this, that the testing of our faith produces endurance. We know that. We know going to the gym makes us stronger. We know not eating chips makes us thinner. We know that. We just don't want it. Right? I know what it takes to get a cut body. And I don't want to do that. Okay? I say I do. I have a 24-hour fitness membership pass. I have everything I need for life and godliness. And a cut body. But I'm not doing it. It's the same thing. We say, yes, trials make you stronger. I can look back on the trials in my life. Oh, great. Do you want some trials? No, no. No, I'm pretty good right now on the trial side. I got them pretty good. I don't need any more. Thank you very much. I think God's really taught me everything I need to know for the rest of my life. I'm pretty positive that we were just talking and I told him, got it. Okay, I understand. 
Yeah, I'm good. And the Lord's going, oh, you're not even close. You don't even know what you're talking about right now. Now listen to what it says. The testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work. It must finish its work. You have to ride out the storm. You've got to ride out the storm. If you're in the boat because of obedience. Now, some of us are in a boat because of, we're on the wrong boat. Okay? We, we, we got in a boat that we purchased with credit. Okay? And we're sailing out and the winds of debt are tossing and buffeting us. And we're saying, why, Lord? And he said, because you wanted a new boat. Right? So some of us, we've, we're in relationships, the relationship boat that God didn't want us in. I'm talking about the obedience boat. And we get this utter dependence. We've got to finish. We've got to, Paul talks about it so much, it's almost annoying how much he talks about finishing the race, running with endurance. The wind's blowing and it's just, I'm going to go one more row. Oh, my arms are about ready to fall off. One more row. That's where Peter is. Now listen to this, guys. Peter steps out on the... First, Jesus strolls up. It says in one of the Gospels that he was going to walk by them. (laughs) So Jesus is so cool. I wrote on my Facebook that I firmly believe that God hit the nail on the head when he picked Jesus to be his son. Killer guy, okay? You can figure out all the doctrine of what I just said later. But, But Jesus is just walking by the boat. He intended to pass by. Hey, guys, good luck. Capernaum's that way. Maybe nudge it a little. There you go. See ya. And they say, it's a ghost. And Peter goes, Lord, if it's you. Now, see, I don't understand why Peter does this. Okay? Because if you think it's a ghost, think about the logic here. You think it's a ghost. And then you say, hey, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Now, if I were a ghost, I'd be like, yeah, it's me. Step out on the water. Right? Because ghosts are cold like that. And then Peter steps out. Ha, I'm a ghost. You're, I got you, Peter. Ha, ha, ha. Right? So I don't know what Peter was thinking. Okay? Scripture's bizarre that way. But he steps out. I believe it's because he heard his voice. He said, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter goes, man, that's the voice of the Lord. I just need one more. Lord, just tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. Because Peter's heard that before, hasn't he? Put down your nets. Come on, let's go. You're going to be my disciple. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Peter's already responded to that command. See, his faith has grown even more, not just with his circumstances, but with his relationship with Christ. Some of us can endure circumstances better than others. But some of us have this deep, rich relationship with Christ that calls us to get out of the boat, to make it even more bizarre. We don't do that to test, you know. I'm not asking you guys to do something the Lord's not asking you to do. But Peter steps out of the boat, and guess what? There's 11 others in the boat. 11 others. Number seven, the Lord brings us out as far as our faith will go. Jesus is standing there. He's like, come. And Peter gets to pretty close because he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches out. and he get, Jesus somehow knew Peter was going to make it right there. So I'm going to stand right here. I want to get the most bang for my buck out of this. 
And church, I'm telling you, God has got things for you to stretch your faith more and more and more. And you go, but every time I fail, every time I I don't follow through, it's okay. He's right there to catch you and go, oh man, feel those muscles on you. You ever do that with your kids? You're getting strong. That's what Jesus does. (laughs) Next time, we're going to go even farther. And you go, no, no, I got the whole walking on the water thing. If there were a third storm for Peter... I'm sure he'd just be jamming out there, probably walking along the side of the boat. Just, you know, Jesus is getting the boat. No, I'll walk. I got it, you know. Because his faith is being built. And the Lord brings us to that part all the time. Did Peter learn his lesson? Yes, he did. In 1 Peter, it says this. Chapter 1, verse 6. I know how great this makes you feel. This is out of the message. Even though you have to put up with every kind of aggravation in the meantime. Pure gold put in the fire comes out of it proved gold, proved pure. Genuine faith put through this suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your gold, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. 